There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and this is the show at Freight Waves where we talk about decarbonization of the value chain, focusing on freight, fuels, and energy. We've got a special episode today with a, a larger guest list than usual. I'm excited to introduce them now. Let's start with Louis. Louise Detremarie, Transport Policy Advisor to the EU Parliamentary Member Kathleen von Brent. Did I get that correctly? Yep. yep. Excellent. Glad to have you with us. Next, we've got Alan McKinnon, Professor of Logistics at Kuhn Logistics University. Alan, how are you, sir? Very well. Thank you. Glad to have you as well. And finally, we've got Serge Shamshila, Head of Ecosystem at Transporian. Serge, welcome. Uh, welcome and grateful uh, to be with you. I'm excited to have this panel because, uh, one, it's our first uh, four-member panel on this show, which should be a good time. But I think the the depth of expertise on just transport decarbonization that the three of you will each uniquely bring from both a, a corporate uh, ecosystem and uh, academic perspective will be invaluable to our listeners. So thank you in advance for joining the show. Why don't we kick it off and set the stage a little bit when we think about greening transportation? Let's just set the stage um, at you know, if someone's listening to this for the first time and doesn't know what a scope is, why don't we kick it off and hand over to Louise just for what is the stage of emissions reporting, calculation, regulation, um, maybe with a European lens, and then I can fill in with the American landscape as well. Sure, I'm happy to start. But maybe before uh, asking why regulations are coming in, we should take one more step back and actually think about what's going on. And if we look at our planet, our climate is not in a good state. Um, progress on climate action simply hasn't been enough, and our carbon budget is shrinking way too fast. At this rate of current emission consumption, will run out in 10 years. That is for the 1.5 uh, Paris Agreement uh, target. So, I mean, it comes to no surprise that uh, policy is speeding up, especially in the EU, as you uh, pointed out. So you see that environmental policy in the EU has already been present for the past two decades, but actually now it's actually going way faster. And we can see that with its new uh, green strategy, which is the Green Deal, which was published in 2019, and then followed up by uh, making it legally binding to deliver on climate neutrality by 2050 uh, using the climate law in uh, June 2021. So if you look at um, transport and freight, that's also a lot on the agenda, especially in the sustainable and smart mobility strategy putting a 90% greenhouse gas reduction in place for transport and logistics by 2050. So this is very substantial. Um, and then if we go even further, we're expecting more legislation next year. And there, uh, em emission accounting comes into play. So we see the uh, Account Emission EU initiative coming in, expected uh, by 2023, the second quarter. And... I'm looking very much forward to that uh, policy instrument. Why? Well, the EU is trying to harmonize um, emission accounting because we see a lot of different methods being out there, which really undermines the policy efficiency that such a policy instrument uh, could have. Secondly, uh, we see a lot of barriers towards uh, sharing transport data and logistics data where trust is mostly an issue in the sector. Um, also, what we see is that carbon accounting or greenhouse gas accounting isn't really being um, 
mean, there has been an uptake, but not on a large scale. And especially with smaller companies, we do see some efforts still needed there. So basically what the EU is trying to do is to harmonize greenhouse gas emission comparison and monitoring for transport services. I'm already giving a lot of info, but maybe just to take a step back. So who is this um, directive targeting? It's basically direct uh, targeting transport service providers, e-commerce -pla e platforms, uh, service users, third-party logistics providers, public authorities, and other transport regulators. And for those listening who have no idea of what greenhouse gas emission accounting is and what is scope one, scope two, scope three emissions, and why does it matter? Well, scope one emissions, uh, very simply put, and I think Serge or Ellen can, can definitely build further onto this, but scope one are your direct emissions from your organization's um, operations. The second scope of emissions are your indirect emissions, mostly coming from sourcing of electricity or heating. And then it becomes really tricky. Then we end up in scope three emissions. And those are basically all the other emissions in your company's value chain including, of course, logistics. And that is much more tricky because you have less control over these. And it's it's exactly those that we are expecting to see to be regulated from the commission side. But a lot of questions still remain. Will this uh, scheme be voluntary? Will it be mandatory? How will it be implemented? What will be the administrative burden, et cetera, et cetera? So basically what we see from a policy uh, level is that it's a crucial step to measure and um, your carbon footprint to track your progress. And it's crucial to have those schemes in place because we do need to step off our efforts if we want to tackle climate change. So I think really fast from my side and I, uh, I look forward to uh, also hearing from my colleagues in this uh, podcast. Absolutely right. Thank you for connecting the dots, not only with the policy mechanisms needed for a level of collaboration that we've never seen at a planetary scale, really, but starting first with the, the reason why is, is absolutely the best way to start this conversation. So thank you for drawing that back. Let's hand over to Alan briefly and talk a little bit more about maybe the scope three and scope one, the freight emissions. When we start thinking about what matters, what data we need, how do we get it? Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Yep. Yep, certainly. I can also elaborate, I think, on some of the points that um, Louise made. Um, again, taking a European uh, perspective uh, on this, uh, worth pointing out that the transport sector is the only sector in the EU whose emissions today are higher than they were in 1990. So, so transport has been the rogue sector. Um, and, and of course, freight um, represents a big share of, uh, of those um, emissions. So one can understand why the European Commission uh, needs to reinforce its decarbonisation measures in this sector. Um, because currently, if one looks at the recent trends in freight emissions, um, they're well off track. They're, they're, they're not on a trajectory that's going to get us to the Fit for 55 uh, targets for 2030 or the 90% reduction that's uh, um, aim, aimed for by 2050, right? So we have a lot to do. And, and as Louise said, one of the main initiatives there is to uh, Im improve the measurement of emissions, mainly carbon emissions from, from transport, um, to try to harmonize this. Um, they're not starting with a clean slate. Um, you know, so there have been industry initiatives uh, here in Europe. The Smart Freight Center uh, in 2016 launched its uh, GLEC, uh, that's the Global Emissions uh, Council uh, methodology and reporting framework. Um, and then that was revised in uh, 2019. Um, and that's got a lot of industry engagement. You know, a lot of companies now measure their carbon emissions from freight transport in a way that's compliant with uh, with GLEC. But if one looks at the 
um, re requirements on companies that will be kicking in in the next few years in Europe uh, to uh, re report on their sustainability. Um, as, as you said, uh, Tyler, uh, th th these aren't just the scope one emissions that they have to report. Uh, it will also include the scope two and the scope three emissions. Uh, and it's the scope three emissions that are going to be very hard to measure. Um, that, that's both from the upstream value chain, from all the upstream suppliers, um, but it's also from those activities which are outsourced. Uh, and currently, I think worldwide, between what 55 and 60 percent of logistics services are, are outsourced, um, and that's going to be a really tough, uh, tough challenge. Um, I mean, often when you talk to policymakers about this, they, they, they seem to think that there's one linear value chain, you know, reaching every company or or, uh, or every production facility. Uh, and of course, that's not the case. I mean, upstream value chains are immensely complicated. There are lots of value chains converging on the same business or the or the same factory. And, and also, it's not upstream, and not just upstream. I mean, it's also downstream emissions. You also have to include emissions from your distributors uh, as well. Um, and capturing all the emissions data from those complex value networks um, is going to be a, a real challenge. Um, and uh, I suspect we can come back later on and discuss that in a little bit more detail. Absolutely. And that's one of my passions in life is figuring out that data exchange and access. So I'm glad maybe that's the appropriate kicking over points of surge to get a little bit of the lay of the land of how Transporian views just the data problem ahead of us when we start thinking about emissions reporting. Well, uh, we have conducted a survey earlier this year in collaboration with the CUNY Logistics University and the Smart Freight Center. Uh, this uh, report is available under Decarbonizing Freight 2022. And there was an exciting finding. Uh, there were several exciting findings, by the way. But one of, one of the main findings was that more than 60% of all shippers answering to this survey have claimed to have so-called science-based targets in place, which was a lift of more than 50% compared to the same uh, question uh, one year earlier. And uh, to be honest, we heard uh, about regulations before, and I think regulations have a certain importance here. On the other hand, we know that uh, a lot of people talk about, uh, or used to say, uh, let the market regulate things and not politics. In this specific case, I believe that from these science-based targets, uh, there is an impact coming, which is indeed more strong than what the uh, governmental regulations will bring to us here. Um, uh, Two-thirds of the industry suggests to have committed to reduction goals. If this is true, I cannot tell. I'm just reading the answers from the participants. Uh, what does that mean and how does that work? We have to picture that uh, these organizations have committed to become net zero until a certain point of time or something similar. And uh, that that has been converted in uh, corporate reduction targets, annual reduction targets. So like typically 3% per year for the entire corporation and for logistics, maybe 4% a year. And uh, what happens in the, in the next step is that these companies then Look into the scope one and two emissions, as Luis just said before. That's a that's an easy job. Uh, they produce it on their own. They can count it easily, and then they look into the scope three emissions. Th scope three emissions can be up to eighty five percent of the emissions of a company, even in transport itself. It's not much different. And uh, then the trouble starts because um, uh, 
they just have no grip on their scope three emissions, as as uh, Alan just described. And uh, then it comes uh, into asking, answering uh, chains of emails and no scalable solutions in place. So yes, we have been working on scalable solutions, but maybe later later on on that. But it, it means that uh, the entire value chain is is uh, concerned. Uh, this movement committing to science-based targets has started in primarily fast-moving consumer goods. Not very surprising, but this this uh, this effect moves so fast now because the producer of a of a soft drink uh, filled into aluminium cans has to go through the whole value chain from the aluminium can producer over to the companies which are rolling uh, the hot uh, aluminium plates until to the until the, uh, they reach the companies which uh, produce the raw aluminium and everyone is suddenly concerned because what we find is that uh, no one can reach its decarbonization targets if the value chain doesn't play uh, in the same field we call it a domino effect and this is what happens as we speak uh, so in the essence businesses we believe will soon be divided into those businesses uh, which adhere to the science-based target and then you you have suppliers and even customers on the same page. And then you have the rest of the world. Hopefully, this rest of the world is going to be smaller and smaller over time. Completely agree. We need it to be smaller over time because, as you all said, without the data, we can't make good decisions. I think if I would summarize just that brief kind of first segment here, we've laid the groundwork for why, why we even need to have this conversation. Climate change does its own marketing. We understand the role of government and setting the boundaries where business gets to play. But we've seen, Serge, to your last point, business really take the reins and start to run with this and move the ball down the field further than they really ever have before when it comes to making structural environmental decisions for their customers that are not just based on meeting compliance standards. We're seeing people go further, faster. I want to pivot and focus now a little bit more on those firms that have a target, have set scope one or three targets in the future. Just the basic carbon accounting. How do we start to get down to that level? Who do we look to for guidance? If you're a, a shipper with your own trucks or a service provider that are moving goods for many customers, how do you start to get your arms around your own footprint and your hotspot? The same effect we see in this with these science-based targets uh, takes place uh, on the financing side. Uh, you might have seen this uh, paper from DHL, where they which it, they have shared with the public that they have made long-term plans, uh, including their ESG and decarbonization targets in particular. And their interest rate in the plan is changing according to the extent to which they achieve their targets, which makes total sense. So uh, this is, a, this is, a, a, this is a, a, a rocket which is already hitting the people in finance. As, as soon as they talk to their logistics counterparts, logistics will become aware of. And I would love to piggyback on your domino effect there and just say that we, we see that it does start upstream. It starts from the issue of climate change being tackled by policymakers and then business can take it and run with it. Um, Luis, maybe you want to comment a little bit on that sort of exchange? Right. Um, if I may, I would like to, to react on, on, on the point that Serge was making earlier between uh, regulation on the one side and the market on the other side, 
moving at different speeds, at the same speeds, moving ahead of each other, etc. Um, I'm afraid, Serge, I, I don't completely agree with you. Actually, we've seen uh, policy pushing a lot lately and the market not following up. Of course, you have those who move first and who are innovating, but the, the big chunk of the market still isn't in 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 this line, um, although it has grown the, the past five years. And I do acknowledge that, but it, in my opinion, I'm from the from the generation that grew up with climate change, and we do see a pressing need to to move faster and go further with policy, but also in the markets. And the point I want to make is that it's not just about uh, carbon or greenhouse gas uh, emission accounting, that is just one segment of the policy puzzle which is taking place at the moment. We also have standards, we also have norms, we have mandates, we have support mechanisms coming in and we see all of those different policy instruments being deployed at the moment and heading their way to the logistics uh, sector. I can give you an example. Just now, um, within the EU, there is a deal on an IC phase-out for new vans starting in 2035. And just, I think, a couple of days ago, we had a deal on the maritime sector to be included in the ETS, the emission trading uh, system. So that really shows that those were sectors that didn't move before policy. And now policy is putting some uh, some strong uh, ambition on the table, but also some strong regulatory uh, frameworks for it. I'm afraid I've uh, expressed myself a little bit uh, uh, wrong. No, I did not mean that uh, everything is fine. Things are keep going. Uh, we need no regulations. Business is uh, solving the issues on its own. Uh, not at all. This was not what I wanted to say. Uh, and I think regulations are welcome. On the other hand, I have to say we always look at ourselves uh, and, and our own government and think that we are ahead in regulations. Uh, uh, Japan has been uh, reducing its emissions from freight from transportation since 2001. So there are people who do better than we do, but I agree with you, uh, we are picking up. But uh, even in Europe, the politics is very late. Companies are very late. However, looking into the future, I think this effect coming from the science-based targets is much more significant than we would believe. Uh, even uh, our company gets letters from customers where they tell us, guys, you need to comply with science-based targets uh, uh, until uh, 2024, 2025. Otherwise, there is no way to continue business with you. Fortunately, we are on a good track ourselves, so we don't have a problem. But imagine how, how this hits the value chain. Uh, people have to speed up. And I do hope very much that uh, this will have a strong supportive effect. And actually, I see almost the same thing happening in financing. Uh, a few days ago, uh, a large lead globally leading uh, logistics service provider has shared files from which you could see that its own ESG performance and decarbonization uh, targets achievements in particular uh, will impact its finance costs significantly over the next year. And I think this is just uh, something which has been shared with the public. Uh, some people from the financing told me recently uh, in an event in London that uh, they are already all confronted by this effect, that uh, you need to uh, treat your ESG and decarbonization targets uh, in an appropriate manner. 
Otherwise, you have a very uh, big disadvantage over the time in financing. Not today, but tomorrow. Serge and Luis, thank you. Those are great, important points. And whether it's the underground explosion that starts the wave or the tsunami that hits on the shore, I think we all agree that the momentum is continuing to grow and that domino effect surge is, is really a result of all these initiatives coming together. When we start operationalizing that reality and asking logistics service providers or fleet owners and operators to just get started, Alan, maybe I'll hand it to you and say, look, when we think about starting your decarbonization journey, if you're not already there with an SBTI, or if you're a supplier to someone like Serge said, who's demanding you get an SBTI, where do those firms start to go to get their arms around their footprint? I, I published a book on decarbonizing logistics back in the 2018. I always uh, take every opportunity to plug that. Um, in, in there, I've, I've got a framework um, that companies can do, companies of different sizes or even governments. It's a 10-stage process through which businesses can go um, to develop a decarbonization strategy for their logistics. You know, I'll run you through them. They're all beginning with the letter C in English. You know, So the first is... is, is um, you know, corporate commitment, because you've got to have, you know, often top level um, commitment to do this. You then have to cu calculate your emissions, right? You then have to commit to targets for reducing those emissions. Um, you then have to consider all the possible options that are available for decarbonizing a logistics operation, of which there are many. I think this is one of the good news stories that there are many mutually reinforcing things you can do to decarbonize your logistics. When you're reviewing those options, it's also good to consider collaboration because I think the feeling is in the freight and logistics world that to achieve really deep reductions in emissions, uh, businesses will have to work together to share their assets and their systems. Um, the next uh, one then is is to calculate the cost of all of this because obviously any business is going to want to decarbonize as cost effectively as as possible. Um, maybe also at that stage, companies would want to consider possibly carbon offsetting uh, because given the time frame, given the um, the budget available, it, it may be they cannot achieve their emission reduction standards internally. And so there may be a need for a bit of carbon offsetting, though I, I know that there's lots of worries there about uh, uh, greenwashing and, and so forth. And having done all of that, um, the, the company is in a position to devise a strategy specifically for its business. And I also make the point here, there's no one size fits all. You've really got to customize this decarbonization strategy to the needs of the business. You then implement the strategy and you learn from that experience, you know, and then you recalibrate. Um, because I think there are still many companies that are at a very early stage in this process. Um, and it will be by a, an iterative process that they develop and refine a logistics strategy to cut their, their emissions. So that, that's a very quick run through my, uh, my framework, really, for decarbonizing logistics operations. I love what you said at the end, because that's an important point we forget. There's not a switch any of us can flip to solve this problem. And we don't yet know what the sustainability needs of the future will be. And so establishing a mental framework and a guidance where it is an iterative process, where progress is perfect, not the other way around, is such a valuable lesson. Thanks for tuning in this week. That's all the time we've got. Join us next week as we move from the what and the why of decarbonizing freight logistics and start talking about the how. How do we operationalize and how do we really make sustainable freight happen. See you soon. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. 
the net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.